Greetings, you career-minded superstars. Hey, did you notice that there was no intro today? So I am, for the time being, doing away with my intro and outro, which, to be fair, is now going on six years old and probably time for a refresh. But also there was some technical difficulties. Some of you let me know about that. I could tell you that this is, you know, me rebranding the podcast or something, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, I don't know how to solve the problem that I have. And so I'm going to do away with the problem instead of, <laughs> I've tried, I have tried to fix it. And it's beyond my technical um expertise. So we're just going to go right into it. So those of you that are used to zooming ahead however long my intro is, you're going to be confused <laughs> when you um, fast forward and it's not the way it normally is. Today we're talking about the job market prognosis for 2024. And, and this is, you know, specifically for those of you that are going to be in a job search, of course, but also there are certainly implications for those of you that are let's say, employing people and you're, you know, hiring folks um, or could be those of you that want to move up within your company. I think there's a lot of implications here that will be obvious as we go through. The reason I'm doing this episode is because they're, I'm hearing so much confusion from the people that I'm speaking to, people who are, you know, commenting on, on posts and things like that. There's so much confusion about the job market and it, it doesn't, really marry up with the reality in a way that it normally does, right? You know, we can go back to 2008 with the recession and people were understandably very confused and very afraid for their jobs or, you know, what happens if I get laid off. But right now it doesn't seem to necessarily be in sync with reality to some degree. Yeah, maybe, but not entirely. So I wanted to bring you some facts today. And of course, as, as you know, if you listen to this podcast very often, it's always with an eye to practical advice. So for each of these points, I want to give you my interpretation of what that should be saying to you and how you might take action on it. Here's a quote from Nick Bunker, who is Indeed's hiring lab director of economic research for North America. Outside of some risks, the ones we know about and the ones we don't, things look pretty good so far. And this is talking about 2024. There's lots of indications that the probability of the economy pulling off a soft landing has gone up. Now, to be fair, I read other people who say it's going to be worse than it than it you know is appearing to be, or that many people think that it will be. Um, I'm kind of a I'm a realist who airs on the side of optimism, <laughs> so I'm going to go with Nick. I like Nick's um, outlook on this. So I want to give you five economic trends that are going to shape the job market, and again, each one of them with here's what I think it means for you. So number one is ongoing worker demand. Simply put, high employer demand for workers will need to continue. Duh, right? That's pretty obvious. However, the labor market for this coming year not only hinges on whether employer demand for workers continues to fall as it has in recent years or not, and on how employers reduce their demand. So we've got two things. Is there a need for employees is there growth in the economy, growth in products and services that is fueling demand for more workers or not? And are employers increasing their demand? So we've all seen situations where 
productivity increased, output increased, but they didn't necessarily hire for people. And then we've seen the reverse where um, they didn't necessarily have the growth and they were hiring in anticipation of that. And I thought that was something interesting. So I dug into that a little bit more. Now, there could be a round of widespread layoffs this year as employers look to shed workers. So there could be, you know, here's the economic reality. We can't afford these people. We need to lay off folks. But on the other hand, there can be employers hoarding labor. And many people think that that's going to happen. So if we have that happen, job postings and openings will fall, but the unemployment rate will not go up. Right. So they're not posting because they're keeping what they've got. So that was really interesting to me because I thought, okay, so what that tells me is if you're in, you're in. Right. If you've got a job and then they're hoarding you, you're going to stay. But if you're out, ouch, that could be really difficult to get into the job market. Now, I, I was curious about this employers hoarding labor because I hadn't heard that term. So I looked that up, did some research. It's really a reaction to what happened a few years ago and really in some cases is kind of, we're we're on the tail of it, but it's been going on if you think about like the hospitality industry, the leisure industry. Employers were burnt by COVID's effect, right? So they laid off, you know, a huge percentage of their workforce because of whatever it is that they did, the service or product that they did um, was negatively impacted by COVID. And then they, COVID was quote unquote over and they wanted to ramp back up and make their product or their service back maybe to pre-COVID levels, maybe, maybe whatever they made or, or, or provided was even more in need than it was before COVID. And they went out to the workforce and tried to hire people and they were faced with a very small workforce. And we're going to talk about some of the reasons for that. And, and the other thing that happens, of course, when you go out, so let's say you want to ramp up, you're not only having a delay in the hiring, but those people don't come in ready to go and ready to be uh, productive workers. They've got training. They've got ramping up time where they're learning the skills um, or the specifics to your organization. So what does all that mean for you? What do I think the message is? I think it means that you have to keep your skills and credentials current. Now, that's always extremely important. Right? I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to shortchange the importance of that. We are definitely past the labor market of a few years ago where it felt like, you know, if you had a pulse, you got the job, right? And sometimes I'm not even sure you needed that. You want to make it difficult for your employer to let you go. So even if you have an eye to moving and to changing jobs, you don't want to be forced out the door. You want to do this on your time frame and in in your time. So make sure that those skills and those credentials are current. And also, and I think I talk about this a little later, but I'm going to bring this up again. It's not just what do I need to, let's say, maintain my current job, keep it. But it's also about what do I need? Is there a gap maybe in what I maybe I need more if I were to look elsewhere for this job? So maybe what I have gets allows me to keep my current job because I have a reputation. I've done well, blah, blah. But is it enough for me to move elsewhere and look for a new job? And then also, if I'm interested in a promotion, what would those new skills be, soft or hard? that I would need to cultivate and develop in order to get a promotion, whether I'm looking for a promotion internally or externally. So that's number one. 
ongoing work or demand. We need somebody to want us, right? Number two is an influx of younger workers. So what's happening uh, now is that we need prime age workers entering the workforce. When you think about what happened during COVID and people, what I was, what I've just been talking about is kind of people looking at alternatives and people rethinking uh, the career path that they were on. We need a certain number of people in that prime age, which is defined as 25 to 54. So age is 25 to 54. So let me put that in context of the generations. So obviously the baby boomers, of which I am a younger one, we are past our prime age. Does that mean we're not in the workforce? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that we are not considered prime age uh, from an employment standpoint. So then what you have is the Gen Xers, and they are aging out of that. Uh, they, they have begun to age out of it, I should say. So Gen Xers now are, are about 44 to 59 years of age. So the earlier baby boomers, maybe the earlier three quarters of them are still within the prime age. Then you have the millennials that are fully within that prime age because they're about 28 to 43 right now. And we also have the beginners of the Gen Zs who go up to age 29 right now. So the, the leading edge of the Gen Zs are considered prime age. So to, that's kind of a little bit of a context about what they mean when they talk about prime age. So as many older workers opt out of employment for either retirement or maybe they don't want to you know, the analogy that I've used with my clients is that you, you don't necessarily want to put the car in park, but you don't want to go 100 miles an hour anymore. So they're looking at maybe something that is more altruistic, something more part time, uh, or they are retiring altogether, although that is increasingly a uh, not an option for, for a lot of people. And then we also have a fairly flat rate of immigration going on in the United States. We don't have that influx of, of uh, international folks coming in. So the prime, the number of prime age workers is going to continue to decrease in the United States. And it's not going to happen in 2024. We're not going to see this huge labor shortage, but it is showing the, the graphs and the charts show that it is going to continue. They're, they're kind of projecting out to about 2030. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, we reached the highest percentage of labor force participation in 2018, and they're expecting a steady decline through 2030. So the labor force participation rate is very simply, this is the percentage of people who are either working or want to work out of all the people, right? So they either are in a job or they are looking for a job. And I did some math on this because I thought it was pretty interesting. The current population in the United States, if you want to guess, <laughs> I had no idea, is 332 billion people. And currently about 62.5% of those people are in the workforce. So that's about 207 million. So again, that's they either are in the workforce or are actively trying to be in the workforce. Come 2030, the expected population of the United States is going to be about 360 million and with an expected labor force participation rate of 62%. Now you may be thinking, oh, it's only going to drop from 62.5% to 62%. No big deal. We're talking about massive numbers where a half a percent is significant. So with that labor force participation rate in 2030, which is only six years from now, expected to be 
that's going to be about 223 million people. Now, at the risk of geeking out on you, what that currently means is we have about 125 million people right now who are not in the workforce and don't want to be. So they're either younger than whatever the age is that they start this at. And I don't, I didn't look that up. I don't know if it's like 16 or 18 or, you know, 21. I don't know when they consider that you, you should be working. And then certainly, you know, past retirement age or whatever they're, they're considering that cutoff. So we've got about 125 people, million people right now not working. And in six years, we're expected to have about 137 million people not working and not wanting to be in the workforce. So we've got 12 million more people in a few years that aren't filling jobs. I think that's kind of an interesting thought, right? So you've got a whole lot more people um, and I don't want to, this, I, I hesitate to say this this way because I don't want it to be misconstrued, but they are in a sense taking from the economy rather than giving to the economy. Now, you will not hear me argue that they deserve to take. They've given, 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 or in the case of the children, they're not able to have given yet. But the point is they are now not contributing to the workforce. They are, they're the recipients in many cases of the workforce. So what I want to do is approach this from a different angle. Now, remember, not in the workforce also includes kids. So let's take some number of that, you know, hundred and let's, we've got 12 million people not filling jobs by the end of the decade. Some of them, let's say half of them are kids. I don't know. But what it tells me is that the need for the new entrants, as those of you listening to this who are you know, you're now in high school, if there's anybody out there. <laughs> That's not my primary audience, but you guys have kids. Let's let's go at it from that angle. Those of you with kids that are in high school or, or entering college, think about the importance of jobs that supply services or products to older Americans. It's only going to continue to grow. That's been a huge growth area over the last decade um, or more as the beginnings of the the baby boomers began to retire. Now, I'm never going to tell someone to enter a career field because of the job market. If they're not passionate about it, they don't have the skills and the values that suit that field, I don't want them to go into it. However, I think it's really useful to think about within the skills and values and passions that you hold, how could you perhaps point them in the direction of a field that has such huge career growth like services to older Americans. So I hope that, hope that makes sense because this is some of the work that I do with clients all the time. We're not going to talk about you. I'm just going to use a, a very black and white example, becoming a nurse because there's a lot of, there's a nursing shortage. They always need nurses. It's a very portable career. If you need to move around or want to move around a lot, it's, um, it, it's, you're, you're going to be employable. But if you don't, you know, if you're grossed out by blood and bodily fluids like I am um, and sick people um, kind of scare you a little bit, <laughs> maybe that's not a great feel for you. But let's say that within that healthcare growth, because healthcare is obviously heavily impacted by older Americans, what is your skill set? What are your strengths? And how can we point that in the direction of healthcare so that you can be in that field? Because it's not just the nurses and doctors and, and uh, technicians that are in healthcare. It's everything that is in a corporation, that is in a, 
um, a large nonprofit. It's all the same services, all the same um, functions, I should say, in those jobs as well. So that's number two. We need those younger folks to opt to come into the workforce. Number three, a steady quitting rate. This was interesting. So I did some homework on this as well. Employees, as we know, quit at an unprecedented rate in 2021-2022. And we need to maintain a steady quitting rate. Now, not the excessive quitting rate that happened um, kind of in reaction to COVID. It has died down to a much more kind of maintainable level. But we do need one. So here's what a quitting rate can indicate. Number one, employees have confidence in either finding another job because quitting rate is, you know, I've either I've either gotten another job, so I'm going to quit to go to it, or I'm going to quit with the confidence that I will get another job in the very near future. Or it could be that they have confidence in pursuing other meaningful work. So they've decided to become self-employed. You know, self-employment is not something that you typically quit a, a paying job to go into if you don't feel good about the economy. Now, there's also the issue within a fairly robust economy where employees have options um, and a quit rate can include, you know, I'm mad as hell and I'm not taking it anymore, right? So it can be very proactive. I'm quitting because this new thing or this promise of a new thing, but it can also be I'm quitting because I don't have to take this. And we saw a lot of that at COVID. We saw a lot of it as people came back from COVID and work, the work that they had become used to for two years or whatever it was changed sort of overnight for some companies who didn't understand that these employees had lives outside of work and that they had had to change those lives very drastically virtually overnight uh, to accommodate work from home and children from home and all of the things. And so they just expected them to hop back on and be, you know, life as, as it was before. They just wouldn't do it. So there was that I'm mad as hell and I'm not taking it anymore. And then there's finally some folks who, um, who looked at their career path during this time. And you think about kind of the perfect storm that was the health, public health situation that was going on the political environment around that health and the economy, people thought about, am I doing what I want to do? Am I fulfilling my purpose? Is this the life I want? And some of them did that during COVID as a necessity because they were unemployed and others did it as they came out of COVID and kind of what I just mentioned, employers were wanting them to go back in the office, assume life as usual, or conversely, like, Here's a completely new job for you because our world has changed. The work that we do is no longer the same. So we're giving you something completely different to do. So many employers also, um, what I'm seeing is within certain segments like hospitality and leisure is that they have begun putting incredible emphasis on talent attraction and retention measures. Um, talent uh, management talent, um, TA activities, talent attraction, talent management has never been, I think, more important than it is as we have come out of COVID and people, again, are trying to bring that workforce back on board. So what does this mean for you? Do your homework before quitting without another job lined up. So for some of you, you may be in a sector like healthcare, where you can find another job pretty quickly. And others of you, you know, we've seen huge 
massive layoffs in the tech sector. So you may be unemployed for several months. So you want to do your homework and look at what's the job prognosis. Now, I did not go into that in detail, despite the fact that the heading, the title is job prognosis, but that's a very personal thing, right? So I could go through every career, but we'd be here for weeks, right? So it, I just want to point out, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more at the end with my final pieces of advice. You got to do your homework. There's no, you know, blanket right or wrong here. If you believe in that you're in the wrong career path, then I want you to really consider working with a career coach like me. Now, this is not a commercial, um, so don't shoot the messenger. But I do, obviously, I believe in the product that I, that I provide and the service that I provide for my clients. It can be worth its weight in gold to have someone to work through this process with you, whether it is whether the result is that you change career paths, you do a pivot, you do a career reinvention, or you stay on exactly the path that you're in because you realize that the problem is not the career path, it's the company or something else. It's worth its weight in gold. Highly recommend it. I also want to say if you're attracted to entrepreneurship and you think that might be the answer, follow the path that most people do, which is to try that entrepreneurial gig on for on for size before you commit to it full time it can bring in it can be an extra source of money for you but it can also help you to get a sense of is this the life i want to lead and for many people it ends up being you know what i like it just where it is i like it being extra income i like it not having to pay my bills i like it being this passion project that i get to do um, and and i'm very energized by that and that's where i wanted to stay there's no right or wrong here it's just what's right for you now, that's number three, a steady quitting rate. Number four, declining wage growth. Now, this is going to sound like bad news, and, and to some degree it is, but I got to tell you the truth. Normal wage growth, and that's what we've seen recently, will need to continue or decrease by a little bit, but not too much, right? So we had near 10% increases in salary going on as people return to the workforce post-COVID. What you need to understand is for workers to maintain and increase their purchasing power, wage growth cannot fall below the rate of inflation. And we've had some inflation lately. We've had some adjustments, um, you know, whether it's to something like Social Security or your salary, cost of living allowances, all those kinds of things. So there's such a intricate dance between wage growth and inflation rates. So as a result of the intersection of the trends I've talked about, so we've got a decrease in employer demand, we think, maybe, an increase in labor supply and depressed levels of quitting, wage growth is expected to return to a normal level, which is about 35 to 4% in 2024. And this is a quote, this is a healthy and sustainable rate seen before the pandemic and a marked cool down from the January 2022 peak of 9.3% per data from the Indeed Wage Tracker. Now, what does this mean for you? Don't get greedy with your salary expectations if you're in the job market, and especially if you changed jobs fairly recently when those salary increases were so substantial. Do your homework. Look on the Department of Labor's website. They have great statistics. There's other good resources. Just Google salary information. Do your regional homework because 
not only do you have, if it's an in-person job, there's a very much a difference between what they would pay you in San Francisco and what they would pay you in Kansas City. But then what companies are also doing is they are banding you based on where you live if you are a remote worker. So they are, to a certain degree, compensating for higher cost of living. Um, but it's going to be up to you to figure out whether that, <laughs> whether that uh, pays the bills or not. So you want to get a reasonable expectation of your compensation package and do not expect it to be at the levels of a few years ago because you're going to probably price yourself out of the job market. So that's number four. And then finally, number five, AI adoption. AI tools are expected to increase productivity growth and fundamentally change the labor market in the near future. And it's expected that jobs creating AI tools and then the jobs that use those AI tools will increase substantially. And we are seeing already a, a considerable upsurge in job postings that mention generative artificial intelligence, so Gen AI. So what does this mean for you? I think it's a fantastic idea for you to learn AI tools, especially any that are specific or related to your career field and or your industry. You can self-teach. That's what the route I've taken. I've gotten, you know, pretty good at chat GPT and I'm using it with things like, um, you know, what I'm getting some facts together for my podcast. Um, I'm using it to help me decipher job descriptions that I'm getting from my clients as I write their resume. So there's lots of things that I'm doing with it. Um, and you can take courses. If you're someone who benefits better from formal coursework, look into that. I think you're going to be well served to be able to put some of those things on your resume, um, again, as specific to your career field. Now, as I mentioned earlier, as for what jobs will be in demand, what do you, ex what's the job market prognosis for certain career fields? I'm not going to go down that road because it's going to vary. I just want you to do your homework and also look at not only, you know, whatever your job is, what's the growth or um, the, the reduced need for that field, but are there sectors who might be more um, open to hiring you. So if you're an accountant, you know, take a look at where, where is accounting growth? Where are they hiring more accounting, uh, folks? Where are they, where are they hiring less accountants? The final piece of advice I want to give you, um, is how to prepare for any of the possibilities I've talked about. Now, this is not going to be new stuff. I'm not going to go into detail because I've covered these topics in some cases ad nauseum in other episodes. And I also didn't even link in here because I think I could put for any of these topics that I'm going to talk about here in a minute, I could put, you know, 10 to 20 podcast episodes that cover that. So again, I'm a commercial here, but go to my website, exclusivecareercoaching.com. If you want to see my podcast uh, organized by topic, you'll go to the podcast tab. Once you go to the website, go to the podcast tab. And there are tiles. There's like 12 or 15 of them and you can go directly to the tile that gives you information about that subject and you'll see an exclusive an inclusive list rather of all of the episodes that I've done that cover that topic. So here we go. First of all, make sure your skills and credentials are current and marketable and begin acquiring any new ones that maybe aren't necessarily required for your current job but would be required 
maybe to get your same job with another company or to get promoted either with your employer or another employer. Number two, update your resume. Of course, you knew I was going to say that one, right? And also next one is freshen up your LinkedIn profile. Highly recommend you work with somebody like me on this. This is all part of that RFO that I've talked about before. Always ready for opportunity. You, you, you energetically have that door open for recruiters to reach out for you to you because you have done your preparation. You are ready to have those conversations with them. Create a plan to energize or in some cases begin your networking efforts and you want to be intentional and strategic about this, especially if you're working full time. You don't have unlimited hours every week to go network with people. You want to have a plan that isn't just reactive. Next, have a conversation with your bro- with your boss if it's appropriate about how to make yourself more indispensable in your current role. Is there a new project or duty responsibility that you can take on? Now, this does not mean that you want to stay there forever. It could just mean that you are bolstering your qualifications for a promotion or a new job, something like that. Practice your interviewing skills. It's a very new world. In fact, I did an episode, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, I forget, on um, kind of the implications of AI in uh, kind of what's going on with interviewing. And and one of the points that I made was that you can expect the, the in, involvement of technology and AI in your initial rounds of interviews. And so you want to be familiar with how this might happen. What are they asking? How do I approach those questions? And you just want to really build your confidence up. And then finally, really spend some time thinking about where you want your career to go next. So many people that I work with are very reactive in their careers. They are just responding to, you know, oh, I've just got laid off or um, there's an exciting new, they're doing a lot of hiring over here. Let me go talk to them. Or I, a recruiter reached out and it sounded good. So I went with it. It's all very reactive, but I really want you to, Invest in yourself and your um, and your career by working with somebody like a career coach like me, if you can, to really map out a strategy and, and know how to go about this in the driver's seat of your career. I promise that's going to yield tremendous ROI. So I hope this has been helpful. Um, <laughs> hopefully I, I'm actually doing the ed- I'm back doing the editing on my own podcast for a little while. And so hopefully I have edited out all the coughing because I'm still struggling with the, with the voice. I'm sure you can hear it. Um, but, uh, I'm here for you. Um, and, uh, I, I hope this has been helpful. Don't hesitate to shoot me a, uh, a, a message. You can email me or you can reply on, on one of the threads that these podcasts are on and, uh, you know, suggest a topic you'd like me to, to address. I had that happen this week with someone. So I've got that. I answered her question briefly and put it in my notes for an upcoming episode. Um, or ask me a question and I'll be glad to help you. You can find me on LinkedIn at, at uh, linkedin.com slash in slash Lisa Career Coach. And that's L-E-S-A. Uh, all right. So I will see you next week. Take care.